It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Good afternoon to everyone. Hope everybody had an outstanding weekend here. It's the final drive with Corey LeBounty. And Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And make sure you tune in and listen throughout this entire week. We will have a pair of tickets to this weekend's Mobile Boat Show available for you. So make sure you tune in. And when you hear us ask for it, give us a call here at the station when you hear the correct boat music that goes to work and you'll be able to get a great pair of mobile boat show tickets this weekend and it was an exciting weekend of college basketball action xfl you had a little boxing going on of course again we do have the nba getting its second half of the season started and Guns were coming out blazing by Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers yesterday as he scored 71 points versus the Houston Rockets yesterday. He had 41 points in the first half, and we'll talk about Damian Lillard's impressive NBA performance and making history yesterday for the Portland Trailblazers. Of course, this afternoon, we do have the AHSAA high school basketball semifinals going on in Birmingham, Alabama at Legacy Arena. And as we're on the air today, the St. Luke's Wildcats, they take on Morris Hill Bible at 4.30 this afternoon for the 2A boys semifinal, and they have an opportunity to punch their ticket to the state championship game. Tomorrow will be a busy day. I'll be on the road at Legacy Arena as we have 3A boys and girls, 4A girls action. 3A boys, Hillcrest Evergreen takes on midfield. 4A girls action, UMS Wright plays Priceville at 3 o'clock p.m. As we're opening up the final drive tomorrow, we'll have the UMS Wright Lady Bulldogs again taking on Priceville. Wednesday on hump day, we have... A double deuce, a double decker of the Yellow Jackets. The McGill Tulin Yellow Jackets take on Hazel Green in girls action at 9 a.m. on Wednesday. And then, of course, in 6A boys action, the McGill Tulin boys take on Buckhorn, who upset the number one team in 6A in Pinson Valley. So it'll be interesting to see how Philip Murphy and the guys are able to battle Buckhorn scheduled for 10:30 on Wednesday. On Thursday, Foley's girls, they make history as the Lady Lions for the first time ever. Boys or girls will be making it to Legacy Arena in the final four as they take on Sparkman at noon. So we'll have you covered there tomorrow all the way through thri- Friday at Legacy 
Arena. Michael Bronner behind the glass, and he was on campus this weekend as the Alabama Crimson Tide struggled with the Arkansas Razorbacks, but nonetheless, at the end of the day, come away with the 86-83 win, and after they defeat them, a couple hours later, Mississippi State, the Bulldogs, do the Crimson Tide a little bit of a favor and go ahead and lose a game, which allows Alabama to be guaranteed a co-regular season championship for two. Uh, definitely remaining here for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Two games remaining, and they're going to be having an opportunity to play Auburn to guarantee a championship regular season-wise all by themselves, Mike. And wouldn't it be sweet for the Alabama Crimson Tide to cut down the nets after defeating the Auburn Tigers possibly on Wednesday in Coleman Coliseum? Yeah, it, it's setting up pretty well for them. Uh, I, I believe they cut down the nets last time at Auburn, but obviously in the COVID season, uh, just weren't a lot of people in the stands, if at all probably hear it in my voice today i got a little bit of, I, I lost my voice a little bit it was so loud in coleman uh coliseum on saturday it, it was it was fantastic man I, it was just a great environment alabama couldn't knock down a, a three to for the entire game they knocked down two at the end but you know they were shooting in the single digits percentage wise for most of the night uh most of the afternoon they were down by nine at halftime and without the three ball being there, they just willed their way to a comeback against the talent, unranked but very talented Arkansas team. Uh, every it was just, it, I mean, it was every possession in the first half on offense for Alabama felt like such a slog. Everything was tough. Arkansas is so uh, physical; they defend so well, and uh, they just flipped the switch. And they were getting stops on defense. The crowd, they got the crowd into it early in the second half, and they really just willed their way to victory on, on Saturday. It was, it was just a phenomenal way for Alabama to win. I, that that old live and die by the three saying, this team's finding ways to win multiple games. It, it's, very, it's very encouraging. Well, it has to be a situation to where, you know, if you're an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, you want it in any sport to have an opportunity to beat Auburn for all the marbles. And we have somebody in the app that says anti-Rassie this morning has proven everyone's point how this station is slanted towards Alabama. Well, yes, I, I, I'm no mixed feelings about it. I'm an Alabama fan. One of my best friends is an assistant coach at Auburn. So I'm definitely not anti-Auburn. Uh, again, I know I heard Lee talking this morning. But Bruce Pearl is an outstanding coach. And Coach Pearl is one of those coaches to where I think he's done more for basketball in this state and has the program reinvigorated and has turned the corner. Um, I love the opportunity for the Auburn Tigers to continue. To, I would love for them to make the NCAA tournament. Um, and they have an opportunity to do so at the expense of Alabama, Michael, because if you can go into Tuscaloosa and Coleman Coliseum and beat the number two ranked team in the country, and again, if Alabama shoots three out of 22 from beyond the arc again, I don't think they'll beat Auburn. I think Auburn will come out victorious. But 
Auburn's going to come out with a, a chip on their shoulders, especially the way that they did not play up to their capabilities against the Kentucky Wildcats this weekend because that's that's one of those losses losing 86 to 54 I just think you want to put that one behind you and just have three days to prepare for the number two ranked team in the country you've already played them tough and had Alabama on the ropes at Neville Arena so why not go ahead and and get after them again yeah they're they're a win and move ons and they're losing move ons and Boy, oh boy, was that a lose and move on for, for the Tigers in Lexington. And it probably locks up a tournament berth for Kentucky if they hadn't already. That I mean, credit to John Calipari. The, the, the wheels were coming off for this Kentucky team early in the season. There were, you had fans showing up with, please go to Texas signs uh, in Rupp Arena. And this team is playing their best basketball at the end of the season. And no, I mean, no one, I don't want anything to do with Kentucky in March. Who does? I mean, they're probably going to be a seven seed, I would guess. I, I really like Kentucky's chances to take out a two in the second round. They're, they're talented. Uh, they're playing, they're, like I said, they're playing their best basketball right now. I don't know. I, I think Kentucky could make a little run, especially after what happened to them last year as a two seed losing to a 15 seed St. Peter's. Well, you know, with the spotlight really being on Alabama this last week, whether it was with Nate Oates' comments or whether it was the evidence that was brought out about what Brandon Miller knew. And again, if Alabama's not ranked number two in the country and Brandon Miller is not the best college basketball player on the planet right now, I, I think that this is not as a hot-button issue or topic as it is nationally that is um and what do i mean by that i think that as brandon miller every move he makes every post he makes is going to be scrutinized period i think that that's a situation to where we can get in to talk about his pat down during warm-ups it's been something that when he came to mobile alabama and was introduced, I'm quite sure Alabama did it right here in Mobile, Alabama, when they played South Alabama. You've seen it on video and documented. They continued to do it. And I think that because of the situations that are at hand, Nate Oates, he made the comment, Mike, and I know you have Nate Oates' comments about the pregame pat-down situation that if you're not going to, scrutinize Alabama for the way they're playing on the floor, their off-the-floor situations are going to be brought to light as well. So before I get started on the game, it, it was brought to my attention after the game about our pregame introductions. I think that's something that's been going on all year. I don't really know. I'm not – I don't watch our introductions. I'm not involved with them. I'm trying to plays during that time. Regardless, it's not appropriate – it's been addressed, and I can assure you it definitely will not happen again the remainder of this year. I think that's a situation. Great statement by Nate Oates. And because he has been made aware of it, he says he draws up X's and O's in the pregame. And if it's something Brandon Miller has been doing all season long, it's something that probably somebody should have said, well, this is probably not – 
the best pregame ritual to go through. You can dap me up. You can do whatever handshake you want to. But the pat-down gesture probably is leading people the wrong way. And because of it, again, Brandon Miller comes out and has an outstanding game. He's not phased by it. He, he has 24 points again. Has 41 against South Carolina. And I'll be willing to bet you that same pat-down was done against South Carolina. It was just brought to the attention that this is something that needs to stop. And because there has been a situation involving the police, a pat-down situation is normally done to find a weapon of some sort, whether that be a knife, gun, whatever. I just think that there are enough other pregame rituals that you can be doing if you're Brandon Miller that don't equate or don't put a negative light on you or the Alabama program. Yeah, I, I've been going back and forth in my head on this one. Uh, I, I don't disagree that it's it's certainly in, in, in poor taste and probably should have been discontinued with, with a little bit of more intricate thought after the initial shooting. I mean, the I think the outrage over it is a little bit overblown, uh, if I'm being completely honest. I think, uh, obviously, there's no there's no negative intent by it. That's obvious by the fact that it's been happening all season. Uh, could there have been some more foresight? And should it? But it, it's just the the lack of negative intent makes it makes me think like, all right, the outrage over it is is a bit much. So yeah, should it not be happening? Yeah, but at the same time, these the, the people who are most upset about it haven't been saying anything since January 15th when it's still continued. So I I just think the outrage over it is a bit overblown. That being said, it probably should have stopped after January 15th. Well, Mike, you know, regardless of whether it should have been or it should not have been, it's not going to happen again. And that's where Alabama is moving forward. Just like the statements that were made last week by Nate Oates coming out of practice, he probably should have just deferred or not probably should have just deferred and said, I don't know enough about or I will defer to legal counsel with the university. Those type of situations, once they're nipped in the bud, they're nipped in the bud. And you learn from them. And I think this is a situation where Brandon Miller continues to learn from them. Maybe the hard way, maybe he's continuing to be held to a different standard. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner. Taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And we would love to hear your opinion about Brandon Miller's pat-down situation. Do you feel that he could have come up with something a little bit different or definitely needed to put a stop to it maybe about a month ago? And again, not only with the pat-down, will Alabama continue to have success Versus Auburn, we know, again, a little less than a month ago, 
Auburn and Alabama on a Saturday in front of a standing room only crowd at Neville Arena to where they were charging over $200 or $300 just to stand at Neville Arena. It's a situation now to where even though game day won't be here on campus, it won't matter because it's still going to be one of those regular season matchups between Alabama and Auburn that everybody's going to want to watch. Yeah, it's going to be loud at Coleman on Wednesday. It's at 6 o'clock, um, so it's a little bit or a little tough for people to get there I and mean, fill a 15,000-seat arena with people who are just getting off of work an hour earlier, but I can't imagine it's not going to be full. You have a chance to cut down the nets by beating Auburn, sweeping Auburn, and so it, they're not going to have an issue filling it up. It, it'll, be, uh, it'll be loud and it'll be full. Well, I tell you what was loud was on Friday at the Mitchell Center where South Alabama women's basketball team was having a, a, a long season. And they really needed a big-time win over their in-state rival, the Troy Trojans. The South Alabama women's basketball program got just what the doctor ordered, a buzzer beater by Mobile's own Kelsey Thompson. And Kelsey is a freshman from Davidson High School and had an opportunity to watch her play her high school basketball. One of the best female scoring athletes to come out of here today was named the Sunbelt Conference Freshman of the Year on top of her buzzer beater that she had on Friday to help Terry Fowler and the women's basketball team defeat Troy 60-59. to The women, they will play in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament tomorrow at Pensacola Bay Center against Georgia State at 11.30 a.m. And that will be one of the first-round playing games that will get the Sunbelt Conference tournament started in Pensacola. 11.30, South Alabama's women will play Georgia State. And again, Kelsey Thompson, congratulations to her, the freshman of the year in women's basketball in the Sunbelt Conference. The South Alabama men... They played on ESPN, two and came in as a number seven seed. Well, unfortunately, they lost 74 to 64, and they'll wind up playing this coming Thursday in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament against Appalachian State. App State, Thursday at 1130. So the women, 1130 Tuesday. The men, 1130 Thursday. Good luck to the Jaguars as we'll have Richie Riley on to talk about his Jaguar program marching into the Sunbelt Conference Tournament tomorrow as well. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner behind the glass taking your phone calls at 251-694-1055. Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And... 
We started off the show talking about Brandon Miller, the pat down, Alabama being ranked number two in the country as the new AP top 25 polls have come out and no jockeying or changing in position in the top five there. And to talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide and really what all this means here as they get ready to welcome the Auburn Tigers to Coleman Coliseum on Wednesday. And really for all things Alabama, our next guest, Tony Sakalis, joins us here on the final drive. Tony, good afternoon and welcome. Hey, how's it going? Man, I'm absolutely too blessed to be stressed. And I'll tell <laughs> you, you know, there was a lot of a lot of activity in Coleman Coliseum in regards to the Brandon Miller pat down that, that he's been doing all year long. But again, just poor judgment, poor taste in regards to probably wanting to just give somebody a five minute handshake or the little, the little handshake or the elbow bumps or chest bumps that they do moving forward. I think that they'll take time to, to come up with a little something different. I'm so surprised that, you know, that he didn't catch it, you know, that, uh, the walk on didn't catch it. Nobody on the staff, like nobody saw this from before and said, Hey, maybe this isn't a good idea. Brandon, like, I'm shocked that he didn't realize, put it together in his head that, hey, this probably isn't going to look good at the moment. It's such a bad look, such a careless look, and, you know, it's already such a tender situation um, that had been brewing a lot of controversy. They didn't need any fuel to the fire, and I feel like that just, you know, is like a bucket of gasoline onto this fire. Well, not only that, I, I think it's a situation to where when you start looking at having and being SEC freshman of the week, let's look at the week status. I mean, you looked at for the two games against South Carolina and Arkansas, what Brandon Miller averaged, and then what Nick Smith Jr., who is from Arkansas, they go head to head, and to what Brandon or Nick Smith Jr. actually winning the SEC freshman of the week. I don't know if that's just a tip of the cap, a late nod to Nick Smith Jr. being able to come back and be healthy and put his team on the back or whether it's, hey, Brandon Miller, we know you're going to win SEC freshman of the year and probably SEC player of the year. So we'll share the love a little bit. You know, I think it's political. And I really, regardless of whether, you know, you think that Brandon Miller should be active or shouldn't be active. I mean, this is a player of the week award. It's, it's not a politics award. It's not a tip of a hat award. It is, it should go to the best freshman of the week. And statistically, Brandon Miller was the best freshman and they also played each other, had identical stats and Brandon Miller's team won. Uh, Brandon Miller also had 41 points and basically took over the game late against South Carolina. Alabama has uh, a loss one of the only losses that could really hurt them in terms of getting a number one seed, they almost blow it on the road against a bad South Carolina team. But Brandon Miller was basically the whole team against Alabama. Uh, it, it's funny because Miller's won this award five times already. This is the this is the week he probably most deserved it uh, out of any week, um, and and he didn't get it this week. And I think it's just political, um, which I think is wrong. Um, I, 
you know, I understand both sides to the argument of whether or not he should have played, but he did play, and that has nothing to do with the award. Uh, and I think personally, uh, you know, if you're going to call this award freshman of the week, it should go to the freshman that had the best stats, um, which is which is Brandon Miller. So, uh, you know, I, I thought that that was kind of a weak move by the SEC, to be honest. Tony, at this point, uh, probably wise fan-wise for Brandon Miller's sake to take a who cares about individual award stance on this, but do you think that th- this situation is going to uh, potentially run into his player, National Player of the Year campaign and SEC Player of the Year campaign? Personally, I, I just don't think he's going to win any of, any of the individual awards at this point. You know, I was thinking, no, surely not. And then after today, it, it kind of opens that door, doesn't it? I mean, like I said, I, I'm not even trying to take anything away from Nick Smith. I, I thought he had a great week and a great game against Alabama. But, you know, and then most weeks he'd be deserving of the, you know, of the award. But Brandon Miller was so clearly the winner of this award. And if they're not going to give it to him here, kind of opens up the door of, you know, he could clearly be the winner of, uh, you know, throughout the season, and are they going to shy away because they don't want to give it to someone whose name popped up in a capital murder case? And, you know, th- that could be the case. I-, I didn't think that that was going to be, you know, an issue from award standpoints uh, heading into today, but after today, I'm not so sure. You know, when you're talking about Alabama and Auburn, of course, everybody knows about what it means in football and the Iron Bowl and you kind of use that analogy in every other sport when they play each other again, whether it's golf or tennis or basketball, you know, people always associate Alabama and Auburn with the iron bowl. And we know that Auburn is fighting for its NCAA tournament life. And I think the performance that the Auburn Tigers had against Kentucky, that's the bad Auburn. The good Auburn that has been shown is the Auburn that went toe-to-toe with Kentucky in the first half or that absolutely obliterated a Missouri or played well against Alabama on its home floor of Neville Arena in, the, in front of the fans in the jungle. But when you're playing at Coleman Coliseum, I, I think that the atmosphere is going to take on a whole nother different dynamic. Yeah, this Auburn team, I mean, it's proven that it's a talented team, and it's better than its 9-7 and seven conference record, I would say, at least at least from a talent standpoint. Now, I mean, you know, you do have to put that together on the court. But I, I think there's a lot playing against Auburn in this situation and with it being in Coleman. Um, also, you know, Alabama has a chance to clinch the SEC title at home against its rival. I mean, both teams are already going to be amped to, to face each other each time they go out on the court. But, man, for this Alabama team, the chance to win it at home. And, and really, you know, it, the, Alabama might have a lead here, but, you know, if, if you lose this one, then you have to go to Texas A&M, and all of a sudden you could blow a, a two-game lead uh, in the last two games. I, I don't see that happening. But, you know, I think it's an important game for Alabama, and it's one that they're going to be really up for. Um is Auburn capable of winning? Of course. I think it's a really talented team. And it also has its backs up against the wall, like you said. But I just think that Alabama is going to take this one. Well, it's a situation also to where I don't personally feel that Alabama can shoot three out of 22 or three out of anything from beyond the arc and defeat this Auburn Tigers team. I think that 
you're in a situation to where if you're Auburn, you want to find a way to be as aggressive as possible against this Alabama Crimson Tide defense, find a way to make Alabama get into foul trouble early in the game to give themselves an opportunity to even have a chance in this game. Well, I think the game plan from Arkansas, and this is a, you know, I guess a, a game plan that you could use would be to, to, to get physical and, and to, you know, make Alabama drive into the lane, take away the three, make them drive into the lane. And when they do drive into the lane, kind of get physical with the guards. The problem with that is in, in what Arkansas ran into is, you know, Alabama is still playing at home in this game and, you know, they're going to draw some fouls. And so you can't also get into foul trouble yourself. That really hurt Arkansas. Um, and it kind of prevented them from doing that. It was working for Arkansas for the longest time, though. So there is a little bit to that as you take away the three and then, you know, you can maybe create turnovers. I think the biggest thing, look at, you know, Tennessee, look at some of the other games that Alabama has struggled in. If you force this team to get physical and then, you know, to turn over the ball, that's where Alabama can unravel a bit. So um, that would be, you know, if I'm Bruce Pearl, that's probably what I'd try to do. It's just, it's difficult to do on the road. You have a better chance of doing that, you know, at Auburn where you could maybe get a few calls, maybe get away with being a little bit more physical, now you're probably going to get a little whistles the other way. Um, and that's just going to make your job even that much harder. So that's why I say, like, it being at Coleman, you know, and then especially with the atmosphere that's going to be, you know, in that stadium with everyone looking for uh, an SEC title against Auburn, uh, it's, it's going to be a tough environment to, to go in there and, and beat Alabama. We're speaking with Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated of Rivals. And you mentioned, you know, what the Alabama and Auburn rivalry means uh, to, to the fan bases. And again, there's nothing more that Alabama fans want to see than to be able to cut down those nets at the expense of Auburn and for Auburn fans and really the players to have to witness the exhilaration or the thrill of Alabama cutting down the nets on Wednesday and for for Nate Oates to continue to show why he has been worthy maybe not of some of the wording that he's used in his press conferences but his win-loss record and the excitement and the regular season championships two out of the last three years for the Alabama Crimson Tide from a regular season standpoint would be downright impressive. Yeah, there's just a lot on the line too. And obviously, it's you know just just sweeping this rivalry always has a you know it's one thing to split your home your home games in the rivalry, but it's extra sweet when you're able to kind of leave the the opponent away coming away with nothing. And and you know like you said, there's a lot on the line for Alabama. It's it's you know making this team one of the best teams in program history, perhaps the best team in program history. And for Auburn, it, it's they're kind of in the same situation uh, that Alabama was in last year, where they're unraveling late, they're stuck on 19 wins, and they're gonna either, you know, maybe totally implode and, and not make the tournament. I don't see that happening. But if you look at their schedule, it is really tough. Or they're gonna barely sneak in like Alabama did last year and get like an eight or nine seed, and and, and you know possibly just go out in the first round, which is a, a huge disappointment for Auburn. So they need this win to kind of jumpstart the, you know, start a mat, light a match under them and, and, and maybe improve their stock and also just improve their momentum heading into the tournament. Well, I tell you, you're talking about improving your draft stock and we'll switch gears from 
basketball and what's at stake on Wednesday for the regular season Southeastern Conference Championship to to a little football. And then the Bryce Young decides he won't throw until his Bama Pro Day on March 23rd, and he'll attend the combine this coming Saturday in Indianapolis, but it'll just be for his medical evaluations and for his measurements. Yeah, and I actually think that's the smart decision for for Bryce. Um, I don't know where he's at with his, his shoulder. I'm sure he's actually probably fine, but it's a matter of getting the comfortability. I, I think, you know, in this kind of situation, you're not going to necessarily improve your stock at the combine. You're just going to teams are looking for reasons to dock you. Nick Saban said it plenty of times in the past. They're looking for reasons not to pick you at this stage. People know Bryce Young's potential. They know what he can be at a quarterback. Now they're trying to nitpick him. So if that's the case, you want to be nitpicked you know, in your home environment, throwing to your receivers, in your practice you know, facility. And you know, that's what most you know, top five quarterbacks you know, elect to do, and it hasn't really hurt people. I don't think it's going to hurt Bryce Young to throw, uh, to wait until Alabama's Pro Day. Alabama's Pro Day is basically like the NFL Combine anyways. There's already so many scouts that are going to come to see him, so he's not going to be missing out on any eyeballs either. I, I think it's a smart move, gives him more time to prepare, uh, and then, you know, he's a guy that's obviously he's going to raise some concerns with his size, and I'm sure that will be an issue, um, you know, when he, when he weighs in and everything. If he's a little light or he's obviously not that tall. So he'll, but he'll be able to, you know, ace some of these interviews. He's a really sharp kid, um, knows the game really well. So I think he'll be able to handle that. And then, you know, when it comes to the more the on the field stuff, he'll, he'll be able to be more comfortable and kind of be more in his element um, for those, I guess, that test, if you will. A lot of the players that are going to be comfortable in their elements during this spring are going to have to do so with a new offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and new position coaches. Alabama on the line to hire a new inside linebackers coach as the one that Nick Saban initially picked is now roaming the sidelines in Gainesville. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's, it's kind of the, the way it goes sometimes. Um, you know, Austin Armstrong was here for uh, officially after, you know, he's here for maybe a month, but – uh, Alabama only, you know, announced him, I think, eight or nine days before he left. Um, hard to blame a guy. Uh... Back to the final drive. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls here at 251-694-1055. And don't forget, when you hear that motorboat sound, don't forget to give Michael a call. We have two complimentary tickets here for you for the Mobile Boat Show that will be taking place this weekend at the Mobile Convention Center. And I want to thank Tony Sokalis for jumping on with this mic and talking a little bit about what's at stake here for the Alabama Auburn game that will be on this coming Wednesday and scheduled to join us on Wednesday will be former Alabama head coach Wimp Sanderson to talk a little bit about what it's going to mean to see the Crimson Tide play as he will be present at that game in Tuscaloosa this weekend. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Coach uh, <laughs> Coach doesn't hold anything back, so, so we'll have him on at 5 o'clock on Wednesday. 
Wim Sanderson scheduled to join us here on the final drive. And we look forward to you joining us in hour number two of the final drive coming up next here on WNSP 105.5. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And want to thank everybody for tuning in this Monday afternoon. Hope you had an outstanding weekend and plenty of Sunbelt Conference basketball action on tap for this coming week in the Sunbelt Conference men and women's basketball tournament. Alabama, excuse me, South Alabama again playing App State on Thursday at 11.30 a.m. And the women, they will have the Sunbelt Conference Freshman of the Year taking the floor for them as Kelsey Thompson. She won that award today, and she had a buzzer beater against Troy this past Friday to lead Terry Fowler and the Lady Jaguars over the Troy Lady Trojans 60-59. to And the Lady Jaguars play tomorrow at 11.30 versus Georgia State. And again, men and women, South Alabama basketball tipping off tomorrow and Thursday at Pensacola Bay Center. And this weekend... Again, not such a great weekend for the South Alabama Jaguars baseball program as they were swept by Nebraska, but it was a good weekend for the Alabama baseball team as they continued to be undefeated and a lot of preseason non-recognition really given to the Crimson Tide coming in, but they have stormed out of the gates with an 8-0 and record. And that is huge when you start talking about getting Alabama baseball, turning the corner and back on the map. And joining us to talk about that now will be Joey Blackwell. Joey, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us on the final drive. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide baseball program, a, a program that is really trying to turn the corner and has really struggled over the last couple of years. The upgrades to to the stadium and really the excitement that goes with Alabama softball are second to none, but Alabama baseball is really going to try to turn the corner this season and continue to move up its way in the top 25. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, not last year, but the year before last, I made a regional uh, for the first time under uh, Brad Bohannon. Last year, obviously disappointing. Um, one of the key factors in the missing a regional last year was the fact that um, they really, really struggled in midweek non-conference games all season. You know, they lost. Uh, um, they were season swept by you know UAB. They lost at Southern Miss. They lost. Uh, uh, I think they lost at UT Martin as well. So a lot of midweek losses were were a huge issue last year. And ultimately, you know, just a few more wins in the midweek probably would have, would have warranted them a, a, turn, a regional spot. You know, you have to think about last year, you know, obviously the, who ultimately won the College World Series was Ole Miss, but that's a team that Alabama swept on the road last year. So this team has talent. Um, they just haven't been able to, you know, get the final pieces. And so far with this 8-0 start, I mean, these teams aren't exactly the most difficult teams they'll play all year, but, you know, considering the talent that they have faced, it's been a, a really good start for them, and it seems like the ball's really rolling for them right now. Tomorrow they'll be playing Jacksonville State University, an a in-state school, to where, again, anytime you have an opportunity to let other schools throughout the state of Alabama play one another, I think that's always a great demonstration of of the schools getting together to work to keep the state's top talent in state. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you said, they'll be playing Jacksonville State tomorrow. Um, they also, um, in a couple of weeks, they'll be playing uh, Alabama State. And the week after that, they'll be playing down in y'all's neck of the woods. They'll be playing at South Alabama. So um, they'll be bringing, you know, bringing the, t- the tide down there. So, um, yeah, Alabama really likes to schedule these 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 series in the state. They also every year have a home-and-home home against UAB. And so it's a really great way for – you know, not just Alabama to get around and to cater to fans across the state, but also for, um, you know, for some other smaller teams that might not be on, on television as often to get to get some airtime. So um, I've always been a fan of them playing locally. The Alabama also, I forgot, actually, they do have a game um, at Stanford in a couple of weeks as well in Birmingham. So just really good to see that. And, and this game that's taking place tomorrow was initially scheduled for Wednesday, but due to the weather, um, they moved it up a day, which a lot of us were concerned that the game might be canceled. So it's good that they were able to work things out with the Gamecocks, and we'll still be playing this game tomorrow. Joey, obviously last year uh, was had a little bit of a disappointing ending, and you brought up all the midweeks, uh, midweek matchups that they struggled in, and that was a big reason for it. But just talk about in general uh, how much Brad Bohannon has change things around for this baseball program to which you know they, ha- they have a really positive outlook to start the season and uh were looked at favorably in the preseason more so than in years past yeah you know these past couple of years for Bo have really been it seems like his first seasons where he's had a, a roster that's fully um composed of guys that he recruited you know in high school and and got there this is you know his sixth season with the program um i he's always been a small ball type coach you know driving in runs instead of power but this year it really does seem like all the pieces have fallen together now that being said um this is the southeastern conference we're talking about here so it is going to be a very very tough conference schedule once that starts but Alabama has a really, really good opportunity to, to you know, have a really good um, non-conference um, record. And then their first couple of weeks um, in the SEC are also very winnable series for them. So as long as they can keep doing what they're doing right now, they should be poised for, for a regional spot, you know, barring, barring um, you know, some setbacks. But to get, to get back to, to Coach Bo, I think what he's done is, in terms of recruiting, he's done a really good job. Um, Alabama is, is ranked number 20 right now. 
Um, and then in regards to the guys they've been able to build to bring in, you know, out of the transfer portal like Matt Gassetti right now, a transfer um, catcher from Florida already has three home runs through eight games. And um, but then the old guys like Drew Williamson, you know, first base, he's leading the team in home runs with four. He has um, uh, 14 hits and, and 12 RBI. So I really think this team, top to bottom in the lineup, is the first time Bo has really had the production that he needs, and um, I think um, they can really do some, some some great things with it if they keep up the momentum. Not only that, you start talking about who are some of the players that people will continue to get to know for this Alabama Crimson Tide baseball team as the season progresses. I know about Grayson Hit, but – what about Pinckney? Andrew Pinckney, is, is he one of those players that are going to make a difference for those who really don't know those, that name going into this baseball season? Yeah, you know, when, when you just asked, um, before you specified Pinckney, when you asked who are some names, Andrew Pinckney is the first one that pops into my mind, as it should. Um, Pinckney right now, through eight games, is batting 500. Um, he has a home run. Um, he's done very, very – he's been very successful – um, and an outfield for them. And he's not just a bat, um, but he's also a terrific fielder in right field. Um, he does an excellent job. That's kind of how he emerged on the scene was in the SEC tournament a couple of years ago. He didn't play a lot that year, but in the tournament he was forced to start at right field due to some injuries and really you know, flashed his glove and showed some remarkable plays. But he's doing fantastic. I actually wrote a feature about him last week in the offseason work that he put in, and he actually gained around, I believe it was 18 pounds of muscle um, so that's a, that's a pretty big jump from a guy that started out weighing around 200 pounds. So um, he's a, a big name as far as pitching is concerned. You know, obviously right now Garrett McMillan, their Friday starter from last year, is out with an injury for the foreseeable future. So Grayson Hitt has been taking those Friday starts, and he's done an excellent job um, with his. Uh, I believe he has a one and zero record right now. He's an ERA around 3.12. Um, the other two starters, Jacob McNary and Ben Hess, also both have ERAs of hovering around three. Um, which is really good when these guys are having to take on roles that they um, are still relatively new to them. They're not, I wouldn't consider them, you know, they're definitely not freshmen anymore, but they're also not veterans. So seeing these guys be able to pick up the slack and being able to really get some quality starts for Alabama on the mound is definitely going to help this team out in the long run. Yeah, you bring up pitching, Joey. I, I mean, as someone who doesn't follow a ton of Alabama baseball, I've been told that pitching is is a reason that, it, that they are going to be successful this season and have gotten off to a, uh, a successful start. So, I mean, just continue to talk a little bit about Alabama's pitching and how it's uh, developing over the past year or two. Yeah, you know, well, before the season started, there was a lot of concern just because, like I said, Garrett McMillan was out with injury and then also at the bullpen, one of their best relievers, Antoine John, you had Tommy John surgery last offseason. He's going to be out for the entirety of the season. But they really, really started out strong out of the bullpen in particular. You know, Hagen Banks, who, you know, has a has a zero, zero ERA, you know, and he's, he's done a fantastic job for them so far. Connor Ball. Um, it also has a zero ERA in his relief outings. Brock Blatter, you know, a, a true freshman, a 1.93 ERA um, in, in 4.2 innings pitched. Um, you have uh, Braylon Myers, you know, who also has a zero ERA in five innings pitched um, through eight games. So you really like what they've been able to do. They, they haven't given up very many runs at all. Um, after the starters have been taken out, which is what you want to see. Alabama these past few years under Bo has, has been a team that's played from behind. Um, early, not typically with Alabama, they tend to fall behind early, but then the bats typically light up. But in order for you to do that, 
you have to have starters that can't be rattled and don't get shaken up early, and that's exactly what they have this year. They might give up a run or two in the first couple of innings, but after that, they once they settle in, they're really good, and then the they also have full confidence in their relievers and being able to, to carry the game to the end. So overall, just a really, really solid improvement, um, especially considering that two of their best um, pitchers on paper are going to be out for a long time. Going into Sewell Thomas Stadium, I, I know that, again, they completely gutted that stadium maybe three or four <laughs> years ago. Uh, but but when you start looking at just the innovation and the technology that has been put into the facilities on the campus and to make the game day experience mm -hmm. second to none, talk about that as well from a fan standpoint. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a beautiful stadium. Like you said, it was renovated, um, I think it was a little bit more than three or four years ago, but it was around, I think, I think it was six-ish or so. Like, I can't I can't put a finger on it, but <laughs> um, it is a, a fantastic stadium. It's one of the best in the SEC, in my opinion. Um, really solid amenities. Um, the parking's great, which that was an issue before. <laughs> um, but I, it's a beautiful stadium. The right field is the student section where students can go and lounge uh, on the grass out there in right field. Um, playground for the kids, you know, really good concessions. Just overall, a really solid bat baseball environment. Um, great club level seating as well. So, but then as far as facilities go, you know, for the teams, you know, you have a really, a really great media room. Um, both the bullpens are, are excellent. Um, you also, for the home team in Alabama, there's a really solid like batting and training facility just off the just off the left field corner, um, which was something that they really put a lot of of effort into when they were rebuilding it um, just five or six years ago. So overall, you know, it, it's a great facility. Um, really looking forward to you know what what it's been able to do in the five years and what what it can continue to develop to in the future. It's a you know located right next to Coleman, which Lord knows how long Coleman will still be around <laughs> right there. But as of right now, you know, it being located by the Moore Administration Building and Coleman Coliseum, it creates a really good athletic atmosphere in that corner of campus. Head coach Brad Bohannon, a little less than two weeks away or right at two weeks away from opening up SEC play with the Florida Gators. And you mentioned how top heavy this SEC is this season in baseball. Can you recall in your time covering it to where you have seven out of the top 10 in preseason or in the polls that come out to where you have that many ranked SEC schools? Yeah, you know, I've been covering this team for, I believe this is my fifth season now, and um, this is probably the most loaded that this conference has ever been, and, and anybody that follows SEC baseball will know that is saying a lot. Um, it seems like every year there are at least five or six teams in the top ten. You know, Brad Bohannon always has, has said since I started covering him, he's always said that you can be, you know, the the – you can be the you know the tenth ranked team uh, in the conference and 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 be and be ranked fifteenth in the country. You know that's how packed the SEC is in baseball. People like to point at at um, college football for how good the SEC is, but really it's college baseball as far as just how competitive all the teams are. Um, you can have a losing record in conference play and still be one of the top twenty five teams in the country as far as talent goes. So. Um, yeah, Alabama has its work cut out for them. They do open up at Florida, which will be a good, strong. I'll actually be their first uh, road series of the season, um, so it'll be a strong test for them. Then they play Kentucky, but 
Then, of course, they play at Arkansas. They host Mississippi State. They they host Auburn. They play Missouri and then LSU and Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, just all these teams that are just within the top 15. And it's not going to get any easier, which is why Alabama needs to emphasize and keep winning these non-conference games early on because otherwise should things – Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner, joining you behind the glass, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And coming up here in just a little while, in about 15 minutes or so, two-way boys semifinal action in Birmingham, Alabama. St. Luke's, the Wildcats. Coach Treywick and those guys take on Mars Hill Bible, and that will be at Legacy Arena. Scheduled tip-off time was for 4.30, but they're running a little bit behind there. So we will definitely keep you posted on that score throughout the remainder of the show. 3A boys action tomorrow. Hillcrest Evergreen takes on midfield at 10.30 a.m. I'll be on the call of that game along with 4A girls. UMS Wright take on Priceville at 3 o'clock p.m. And as we come on the air for the final drive, we'll give you score updates throughout that contest. Wednesday, we have 6A boys and girls action. The 6A girls get started at 9 a.m. The McGill Tulin Lady Yellow Jackets, led by Carla Berry, they will take on five-time defending state champion Hazel Green at 9 a.m. I'll be on the call of that one on the AHSAA radio network. And then following that game, we'll have the 6A boys. McGill Tulin's boys will take on Buckhorn, who upset the number one team in the state of Alabama one week ago in the regionals. So Philip Murphy and the guys will have their, their hands full. Also Foley will take on Sparkman on Thursday at 12 o'clock noon. And I know we have a caller who would like to talk with us on the final drive caller. Good afternoon. How are you doing? It's our resident stat guy, Chuck, Chuck, <laughs> load us up, Chuck. How are you doing? My friend? Good. How are you, sir? Absolutely blessed um, by the best. Thank you. All right. Going to approach it from a different angle today. Uh, and I haven't publicly commented on the whole Brandon Miller thing. Sure. Uh, I'll do my best to steer clear of it as I can. But uh, something today happened that uh, I think is obviously a reaction to Brandon Miller. And that is, have you guys discussed or have you seen who the freshman of the week is in the SEC and men's basketball? Absolutely. It's not one Brandon Miller, and his numbers were much better than Nick's. Yeah. Nick had 24 points. I'm I'm sorry, 24 points against Alabama, 26 against Georgia for a total of 50. He had uh, six rebounds against Bama, one against Georgia. Uh, Miller, 41 against South Carolina, 24 against Arkey for 65, outscored him by 15, out-rebounded him by 14 to 7. The one area that Smith was ahead, he had three assists. Brandon Miller only had one. So if nothing else, I think that's just the SEC office said, they don't want to get involved in this. Let's give it to Nick Smith. Let's move on, et cetera, et cetera. But since I've said that, let me, let me give you something that I think is just – Really, really out of left field. Bronner, you'll appreciate this, uh, I think. So 
four years in a row. I know men's basketball in the SEC scheduling is different than it is in football. It's not this home-and-home stuff. Four years in a row, Alabama has played Missouri. All four years, the game's been in Como. Not once has it been in Tuscaloosa. Okay? Now, that seems like an absurdity to me, but that's just me being a Bama fan, I'm sure. Now, let's just fast forward. Next Saturday be the last regular season game of the schedule in the SEC. Bama goes on the road to College Station. It'll be senior day. You know, the place will be rocking. Okay, why is that significant? It's significant because this will mark the ninth, write it down, uh, the ninth consecutive year that Alabama has closed the SEC regular season on the road. You got to go back to 2014 before the last regular season game for them was a home game. Now, if you flipped a coin, Corey, it wouldn't come up like that, would it? I mean, am I being unreasonable here? Or is that, that that seems absurd that you could go nine seasons and you wouldn't close out the regular season at your place. Yeah, that that's one of those. You, you, you just, when you start looking at the scheduling, Chuck, that's why we call you the stat guru because that's something when you dig in depth to especially what it means. I mean, even when Alabama wins the regular season championship, they're able to do so and then go out on the road. But not having that last game, I, I don't know if that prepares you to get ready for the SEC tournament, but again, I guess it gives you an opportunity to regroup, but that is a very, very accurate and defining stat that Alabama, no matter what's happening, well, it's going to be the, interesting. Let, let's just say this real quick, Corey, and I'll be gone. I know you got others you got to go to, but it, it also prevents you on that last Saturday of the season from honoring your own seniors on their home court. You know, Alabama had senior day this past Saturday, even though that's not their last home game. Their last home game is Wednesday night against Auburn. You said, well, why'd they have it on Saturday? Uh, Nate Oates answered that saying, you know, we don't have any local players on our team, nobody in the Tuscaloosa area. Uh, closest player would be Mark Sears from Muscle Shoals, but he's not a senior. So for those seniors, for their parents to get there, Sometimes you got to allow some drive time. They can't do that on a weeknight, especially if they're working parents. So if for no other reason, let's have some semblance of fairness or whatever, but not. Okay, so, so if they host next season, it'll be one time in 10 years. Unbelievable. Anyway, that's my rant for the day, guys. Sorry. And uh, appreciate it as always, Chuck. Thank you. Always appreciate you listening and chiming in. But you're exactly right. We talked about it in our opening segment. A knee-jerk reaction, Brandon Miller not being named SEC Freshman of the Week would have made history and went gone ahead and had that seventh one and would have surpassed Hollywood Robinson from 1991 fame. But at the same time, I still feel that Brandon Miller, you can go ahead and for whatever reason, decide to share the love and give it to someone else. He's still, there's no way that he does not win your SEC freshman of the year to go along with your AP player of the year and conference first team 
all all conference first team all american you can continue to let the accolades pour in because brandon miller has definitely been laser focused when it has come to his play 41 points last week against south carolina the day of all the controversy and then turns around and has an outstanding game in regards to head-to-head with somebody who did win sec freshman of the week nick smith jr but brandon miller is going to have to have a phenomenal phenomenal performance and continue to score at his average against the auburn tigers on wednesday for alabama to continue to cut down the nets at coleman coliseum when we come back we'll be talking with someone who made a little history at foley high school and Foley High School has been around for a long time, and both their boys and their girls program have never made it to an AHSAA Final Four, but that all changed with the Lady Lions of Foley making it to the Final Four. We'll talk and introduce you to their head coach next here on the Final Drive. Hey, this is Dabo Sweeney, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And don't forget, when you hear that motorboat sound that Michael Brauner's going to play, give us a call here at the station once you hear that motorboat sound and you'll qualify for two tickets to this weekend's boat show and that will be held at the mobile convention center and once you hear that motorboat sound you can qualify for a pair of tickets to the mobile boat show at the mobile convention center this weekend and we mentioned coming up today we have the two-way boys basketball game st luke's taking on mars hill bible and that will be a big-time matchup for Coach Garrett Trawick and the St. Luke's Wildcats as they're trying to make it to the state championship game. And once they make it to that 4.30 tip here in just a moment that was scheduled to start at 4.30, we'll see if they're able to punch their state championship ticket and they'll be playing later on in the week. And one of the great things that you have an opportunity in playing any type of sport is to make history and at Foley High School it's been around for a very long time and making history is the girls basketball program and they're going to have an opportunity to play for a state championship on Thursday at noontime as the Foley Lady Lions take on Sparkman and their head coach joins us this afternoon on the final drive coach flanagan good afternoon and thanks for joining us here on the final drive good afternoon thanks for having me coach let's introduce you to everyone because again when you start talking about foley high school 
When you say Foley, a couple of names pop into people's minds all the time. Of course, Kenny the Snake Stabler and, of course, <laughs> Julio Jones. But from a girls' basketball standpoint, a couple of years ago, Coach Sally Jeter was knocking on the door, making it to the Elite Eight, but getting beat to go to Birmingham. But, Coach, your young ladies could not be denied, and they went ahead and punched their ticket last week at the regionals and are making history at Foley. Yes, sir. That is that is true. That's where we're going. Let's talk about how you got there, Coach, and what your overall record is now that you are there. Where do the Foley Lady Lions stand from a record standpoint? Right now we're 24 and 5, and uh, we are hoping hoping that it would be the 25 and, and 5 <laughs> after, after Thursday. Well, let's also talk about your experience as a coach. I know that Shelton State Community College means a lot to you from a junior college standpoint as they've been really the dominating force in junior college women's basketball as Madonna Thompson played on the 1994 University of Alabama women's Final Four team. And then I know currently being the head coach at Shelton State, Madonna is awfully proud of you. Talk about your time there and, again, the opportunity for you to coach at Foley. All right. Well, first off, it is amazing that, you know, I did come from a great program like Shelton State Community College. You know, the one thing that I learned from there is just, you know, just trust the grind because she really pushed us all the time. And um, the other thing that I got from her is that, you know, if you do the little things, um, you do the little things very well, you know, you're going to be successful. And so that's what we're trying to do here at Foley High School is take every little step that we can um, from the classroom all the way to the, to the court and just do our thing. You know what I mean? Um, we just want to do things well. We want to make our community proud. We want to make our school proud. And the only way to do that is just one foot after the other. And that's what we've been doing here. Well, how long have you been at Foley? And once you let us know how long you've been at Foley, let's talk about some of your young ladies who have really helped propel this program to this historic moment. Uh, yes, sir. So um, I came here in 2017. Coach Sally Jeter, you know, um, asked me to come. I was actually at Central Baldwin Middle School um, in Robertsdale. And so um, I was just a middle school head coach there. And um, she saw me, and I guess she liked what, I, what she saw, and she asked me to come down here. And I can never beat their middle school team. Foley Middle School team just always was just great athletes. You know, they were tall or they were short. It didn't matter. Like, they were just very athletic. And um, I've always said, man, if I can just get my hands on some of those girls, man, <laughs> I don't know what I can do. And um, so in 2017, when I got here, um, she was she was telling me she was trying to start a program and, you know, make tradition happen again. And, you know, because, you know, she played here as well. So, you know, this is her alma mater. And so um, once we got together, we started, you know, talking to each other and trying to see, you know, the goals that was going to be set for the girls. And um, once we did that, we just started started winning. <laughs> um, 
And then one thing that I saw was that the young ladies that were here, like Caitlin Knight, um, Ayana Carver, um, MG Lyman, Caitlin, I mean, Jakaya Jackson, some of those and, and more, um, you could just tell that they wanted it. And so the passion was already there. It was always there, even when, um, before I got here. But just, you know, being able to take those girls and, you know, just get their skills back together and their fundamentals. And that's what we started off to doing. And then we were able to get a kind of foundation. Uh, once we got that foundation, the younger girls could actually start playing, you know, in their in their le or age level. So, you know, middle school, stay with middle school. And we didn't have a lot of younger girls having to play varsity and kind of get nervous and playing. So once we did that, um, the younger girls can actually sit and watch and just take it all in instead of having to be out there and try to try to, you know, work it as they're out there. And so once we did that, it was on from there. And so we absolutely, and I tell the girls, the former girls all the time that we're standing on the backs of them and we're just so proud of, you know, what they started, their dedication that they've had. And we just love, love, love them so much. And um, we're just hoping that we continue to do what they started. Last week, you all had an opportunity to play and to defeat one of your rivals for an opportunity to go to Birmingham. You guys won over Daphne 68 to 46 for the Central Region Championship. You guys did not play in Montgomery, Alabama. It's one of those mm -hmm. situations to where 6A did travel to Montgomery and Garrett Coliseum, but you guys traveled to Birmingham already and played at Bill Harris Arena, not the site of where you guys will be this week at Legacy Arena on Thursday. But let's talk about, again, being able to defeat Daphne, one of your huge rivals, to get there. Um, yes. Um, first off, Coach Perry is a wonderful coach. I mean, she is – I mean, she's getting those girls so ready, and, you know, their program is doing very well. Um, but the one thing that, you know, once again, Coach Sally Jeter um, put in place is the foundation that our younger girls can just watch. And so back in 2019, when we were able to see McGill beat us, um, we played them three times. And on that, on that fourth one, you know, we just couldn't get past them. And, and the younger girls was able to see the passion that, you know, how we lost and, you know, they didn't want to go back to that. And, you know, they just learned from it. And once, once again, you know, everything that you do, you know, I just say it's always an experience. It's not a loss. And so um, that's what I think about this. You know, as soon as uh, we knew that we were going to play them for the fourth time, um, Jessie Dixon, you know, she's a senior now, but she was a freshman when we went up there. And so she just kept saying, we're not getting beat, guys. We're not, you know, we're, we're going to go out here. We're going to stay focused and know that they're going to try to beat us. And so that's what we just stood with. And, you know, Jessie was right, and we were going to stay they locked in and that's what happened i mean we just we knew that who we were going to play but we just got to make sure that we were just going to stay stand fast to what we were going to say we we're going to do foley's been a community that always loves its athletics and always loves its sports but to be able to be the first team in basketball boys or girls <laughs> to make it to the ahsaa state final four what does that mean to you personally and how has the community of foley and the school really embraced you guys and are y'all having a big send-off pep rally as you guys do prepare to play sparkman here in on thursday well, for me, um, 
I think as soon as, you know, we were, you know, once the regional game was over with, you know, I just, you know, just kind of breathe just a little bit just to tell myself, you know, thank God. Um, you know, everything that I, I try to do, you know, I try to, you know, make sure that I'm doing it the right way or, you know, just trying to make sure that I'm being an example um, for, the young, for these young ladies. And um, so the one thing that I always continue to tell them is, you know, you just got to stay dedicated. You know I mean? It's not going to always go your way. Um, things are, you know, things are sometimes it's going to just be a lesson and sometimes you're going to win. But in between those times, you just got to be dedicated and just know why you're doing what you're doing. And so this has always been my passion, always. I mean, even from a little girl, I just remember, you know, just seeing my sisters play ball and just wanting to be just like them or even better than they were. And so um, just having this opportunity, you know, to do what I, you know, I set forth to do, you know, once I went to college, um, I always told myself I wanted just to help people. What can I do just to help people? And um, so I think that, you know, Jesus Christ has helped me out with coming up here and just helping young ladies look like me. You know, they just, they want to, they have the passion to do it and they want to do it. And so sometimes we can get in our own way. And that was sometimes I was always in my own way. It seems like, you know, just, you know, when is it going to happen for me? When is it going to happen? So when this moment happened for me, it was just like, wow, like it, it was, it was so worth it. And so I just hope that I, you know, it, you know, give myself an example for these young ladies to, you know, never quit on your dreams. And um, if you have a passion for something, just go after it. Well, I, I know that you have chased it and have been passionate about it since your playing days for Madonna Thompson yes, at Shelton. And again, Coach Thompson is a great friend of mine and one of the best coaches, and she'll go down in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame because she's already won 10 junior college championships here in the state, 10-plus, and is trying to get another one this year. So with yes, that sir. being said, again, Coach Thompson, I know, is extremely proud of you. I know Derek Scott speaks so very highly of you as the head football coach and athletic director over at Foley. And I know all the Lions fans are ready to pack up and go north on 65 to see Foley make history. And, again, Emily Flanagan is the head girls basketball coach at Foley High School, making her debut here on the final drive on WNS. But I look forward to watching you guys play on Thursday and seeing you guys play against a very tough Sparkman team. And Coach Jarvis Wilson does a wonderful job, did a wonderful job when he was coaching here as an assistant coach at LaFleur, head coach at Blunt, and also in his time where he won a state championship at Carver, Birmingham, and now the head coach at Sparkman. So I know you're looking forward to to go into battle with Sparkman. What can we look forward to in that game? Uh, well, it's going to be a grind. Um, you're right. You know, um, Coach from Sparkman, he's he's really a good coach. Um, he's very dedicated to his team as well, you can see. And um, those young ladies, they're dedicated to him. And so, you know, for us, we're just going to go out there and, and you know, get our defense together, defense first, and um, – See what we can do ball handling wise and you know just taking care of the ball and uh, scoring what we need to and just all together just putting all of what we've learned from October till now uh, what we've learned and see what we can do well coach I want to wish you the best of luck I'll be heading up tomorrow 
to Legacy <laughs> Arena in Birmingham, Alabama to cover the Final Four and look forward to watching your Lady Lions in their historic performance and debut in the Final Four in the AHSAA. Congratulations, Coach, on an outstanding season thus far, and hopefully we can get you a W and bring home a blue map back to the Gulf Coast. Yes, sir. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And thanks for all the fans. And we just appreciate everything that y'all do. Thank you. Coach Emily Flanagan, the head Lady Lions basketball coach as Foley High School, making history for the first time ever. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty, along with Michael Bronner, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And again, we mentioned South Alabama men's and women's basketball program having a lot of postseason accolades being added to them as Kelsey Thompson was the Sunbelt Conference Freshman of the Year in women's basketball. Kelsey, again, the freshman from Davidson High School, led the team in scoring and assists, along with Kevin Samuel, which was the Sunbelt Conference Defensive Player of the Year. So there was no argument with there, and he averaged 8.9 rebounds per game was in double figures scoring 10.2 points per game. And when you start talking about Richie Riley being able to get a seven-footer out of the transfer portal who was named the defensive player of the year in the A-Sun conference, then turn around and being able to be the defensive player of the year in the Sunbelt conference, I think that's very impressive along with Isaiah Moore being named a first-team all-conference performer, and he's another player who comes in from a Division II school, Franklin Pierce University, and playing his final year of eligibility. Coach Richie Riley was able to hit the jackpot in regards to those two players that wind up being all Sunbelt Conference type of performers, and Again, the Jaguars weren't able to win this past Friday night against Louisiana. The Cajuns a little bit too much as they beat the Jaguars 74 to 64. But the Jags will play App State on Thursday at 11.30 a.m. right there in Pensacola, Florida, the Pensacola Bay Center. So looking forward to March Madness getting ready to start across the country as you have many conference tournaments that will be gearing up starting tomorrow. You're listening to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Don't forget in the next hour, make sure you listen for that boat sound. We have two tickets to the mobile boat show that will be at the Mobile Convention Center coming up. So make sure you listen for that motorboat sound and give Mike a call at 251-694-1055. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. 
Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to our number three of the final drive with Corey LeBounty. Taking you home along with Michael Brauner here on WNSP 105.5. And we want to thank everybody for tuning in this afternoon. And we told you that there's high school state semifinal basketball action going on at Legacy Arena and currently St. Luke's leaves Mars Hill Bible 21 to 19 with four and a half minutes remaining in the second quarter of action and we will keep you posted on how that game continues to unfold here as we are entering the last hour of the final drive and don't forget when you hear that motorboat sound make sure you give us a call here at the state 251-694-1055. We have a pair of tickets to the Mobile Boat Show that will be held at the Mobile Convention Center this weekend, and you don't want to miss out on that. So when you hear that motorboat sound, make sure you give Michael Bronner a call at 251-694-1055. And we've had a situation at Ole Miss and the SEC as we're winding down Southeastern Conference men's basketball play to where who better than to talk about a coach being fired at Ole Miss, Kermit Davis, relieved of his duties after his fifth season, 74-79 and 79 overall. David Eckert, a reporter for the Clarion Ledger, joins us this afternoon on the final drive. David, good afternoon and welcome. Great to be on, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. And again, as we were getting ready to talk on our show on Friday, we were talking about the upcoming matchups that were going to be seen this weekend in Southeastern Conference play. We knew Ole Miss had come off that close loss to Auburn, but after it, we had no clue that Ole Miss was going to fire Kermit Davis. I thought that they probably would have waited for the last three games of the season to unfold, but administration goes ahead and gets rid of Coach Davis. Yeah, that makes that makes two of us. Uh, it was a very unexpectedly busy Friday for me. But, um, you know, yeah, it's uh, the timing was interesting, right? Um, because... You know, in, in your head, right, if you think, okay, that Auburn game is kind of the line in the sand for them, then why did it take two days for, for them to fire him? But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it does kind of make sense to get in line at, at the, you know, on the coaching carousel a little bit earlier if you know you're going to make the move, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, interesting timing on that one for sure. Well, Ole Miss – now is 11 and 18 and when you start looking at what they were able to accomplish Michael and I talked about it to where maybe this will rally the troops but Ole Miss was able to defeat LSU 82 to 69 this past Saturday and win one for the interim coach win case yeah yeah aptly named uh, um 
Yeah, you know, uh, they played well, right? And, and, and look, a, a lot of their wins in the SEC, or I guess the other two wins that they had before this weekend, were kind of like, okay, it, the opposition was just worse than that, um, you know? But, but in this game, they played genuinely well. They hadn't shot over 50% from the field for like, I don't know, three months. Um, and, and, and they did so in that game. They made some threes. They got out in transition. Um, and they defended well. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was jarring. And, you know, uh, with about a, a minute left or so, maybe like 50 seconds, uh, there, there was a timeout called. And, you know, the, the fans got up and there was, a, there was a standing ovation. And it was just like, wow. I, you know, it, it was, we just had fun here. This was fun. This was enjoyable. And it hadn't been like that for just about the whole season, more or less. So it was an interesting night for sure. Ole Miss, currently 12th in the SEC, will be taking on Ole Miss, excuse me, Texas A&M, tomorrow at 8 o'clock p.m. on ESPNU. So you go from go ahead and having an opportunity to taste victory to playing a very bitter and sour Texas A&M team who's coming off a loss to Mississippi State. Yeah, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting for sure. Um, because, you know, Texas A&M is, is, as I'm sure you and your listeners probably know, still playing for still playing for a shot at that, that SEC title um, if things go their way. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting one. Um, I'm not sure... For, for me, I guess the, the, the interesting part will be, okay, um, were they just kind of able to, to draw from the raw emotions of the last couple of days um, in that LSU game, or has the vibe kind of changed, has a, has a switch flipped? And I'm not really sure what the answer is. So for me, that'll be interesting to see, I guess, how that plays out Tuesday night. The Ole Miss Rebels win at home for the first time in SEC play, but if you're going to get a head start on the coaching candidacy or the vacancy, a couple of names that have come across have kind of been shocking to some people. You have one in the former LSU head coach. His name has been mentioned along with one that used to coach at Texas, Coach Beard, who had the charges dropped against him, and he is available from a coaching standpoint. So what direction, if any, did you think Will Wade is the answer for Heidi Toddies? Or do you think that I like Coach Beard? I think he's done and can do a phenomenal job, uh, especially now the fact that charges have been dropped against him in regard to a pending case. Yeah, I mean, look, you can't argue with the basketball for either of those guys. You just can't, right? I mean, they've proven that they're solid basketball coaches. Um, in Chris Beard's case, I would even say an exceptional basketball coach. Uh, but they're complicated, you know? I mean, it, 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 if you hire Chris Beard, there's going to be pushback. Um, and, and in my, I, I would say probably justified pushback. Um, you know, and, and the same with, with Will Wade, you know, that as the NCAA still hasn't resolved. Um, I guess the, the charges, um, you know, towards him. So either way, um, you know, if you go with either of these, those two guys, 
Um, you're going to have to gut it out for a little while before you even get to the basketball, right? Um, so it'll be interesting. Um, another name that, you know, has kind of been tossed around is Chris Holtman um, at Ohio State, who's kind of out of favor there. Um, you know, there's a, obviously the, the crop of, of uh, mid-major guys, Dusty May down at uh, Florida Atlantic. Um, we'll see. You know, it's, it's uh, I, I'm sure that Ole Miss Athletic Director Keith Carter is going to have, you know, a lot more information than, than what I do, especially in regard to, to, to Beard and to Will Wade to, to make his decision. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what route they go, no doubt. We're talking to David Eckert of the Clarion Ledger. Uh, David, I, I mean, you talked about the obvious blowback that there will be if you go with a guy like Chris Beard or Will Wade. And like you said, I, you can't argue with the, the basketball side of either. How, if you're the athletic director of Ole Miss, how, how do you weigh the blowback versus inevitable results? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? Because, you know, if, if you're Keith Carter, look, and – Keith Carter played for this program. Keith Carter is one of the best players in the history of this program. So nobody wants to see it more succeed more than he does, I'm sure. Right. Um, but again, it's, it's what information is available to Keith Carter that we don't have. Um, I think it's kind of key here. Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, you got your, your heart might be telling you one thing while your head tells you another. So um, it'll be it'll be a difficult decision for him, and that's you know assuming that either of those guys is interested in this job, which you know might not be. You are taking a little bit of a leap there, so yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'll be curious to see what happens for sure. Well, it all stems for the firing of Kermit Davis, who was the men's basketball coach with three games remaining, and after. Saturday's win that Ole Miss experienced over LSU, their first at home. Kermit Davis got off to a great start into his first year, was 20 and 13, and had a lot of success coming from Middle Tennessee State. And then in his first year at Ole Miss, making the NCAA tournament and making a lot of noise. And it's just the Tad Pad, the old Tad Pad, is a situation to where you have seen kind of the transformation to where women's basketball has taken a boost and the men's basketball yep. program has taken a dip. And the women's basketball team is now working itself to where they have a double bye in the SEC tournament that's getting ready to upcome. Yeah, they're a lot of fun, man. Like, they, they are just, like, uh, Coach Yolette McSee-McHugh and everybody here just called her Coach Yo has, has done a phenomenal job considering where this program was when, when she took it over. Like, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think they went, like, 16 out of 17 losing seasons in the SEC or something. Um, it, it, was, it was bad. So, you know, to – to be top four in the conference two years in a row is a huge accomplishment, especially when you consider, you know, what she's had to deal with, at least during part of this tenure, an hour, an hour and a half away in Starkville, right, where they've, it's, it's down a little bit now, but when she got here, that was a Titanic program. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're real fun. Um, they defend really well. They might not. They might not have as much scoring punch as some of the, the other top-tier teams, but, man, 
you know, I, I, I wouldn't count them out. They're, they're going to be I, – I, I, I think there's a chance that they can make some noise this weekend. And, and, you know, even in the NCAA tournament, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see them get to the second week. No, no, no doubt in my mind. We're speaking with David Eckerd. He is a reporter at the Clarion Ledger, covers the Ole Miss Rebels programs. And you go from programs like the men's basketball team that has kind of floundered this year to the success of Coach Yo being in the fourth seed upcoming for the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament. They won't play until Friday because of the double bye to, to where men's baseball is continuing to flourish. And we've seen with the SEC starting the success that the Ole Miss Rebels program has started off with this year. Yeah, yeah, fun weekend on, on the diamond for them this weekend, no doubt. Um, Lots of lots of beer showers in right field. Uh, I think they had six homers on Sunday. Um, they took two out of three from a top 15 Maryland team. Um, last two games, I think they scored 30 runs. So, yeah, they, they look like they can. They're really going to swing it this year for sure. Um, definitely some questions about their pitching. Uh, you know, they're 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 Friday night ace right now. Um, he, he's dealing with some some forearm tightness and we're going to get news on him in the middle of this week, whether that's a long-term issue um, or just something that he can rehab and beyond him, you know, they brought in a, uh, a division two transfer in Xavier Rivas who's their Sunday guy. And their Saturday guy is Grayson Sonia, a freshman. So they, they really, they don't have a ton of, of proven commodities on, on the mound. So for me, that's going to define their success or failure this season once we kind of get into SEC play. Um, but they're going to be fun. You know, if they're losing games, they're going to lose them, you know, 10 to 8, right? They're going to swing it. So uh, definitely a fun fun season of baseball ahead for, for the Rebels, no doubt. The Ole Miss Rebels ranked number four, and they're getting ready to host Louisiana Tech for a midweek series. What are one or two of the names for the Rebels that we can continue to watch for that will be pretty exciting for those who really want to tune in and watch some great SEC baseball? Yeah, Jacob Gonzalez has to be on top of the list. Um, he, he plays shortstop. He's going to be probably a top 10, top 5, maybe even the top pick this summer. Um, you know, he just rakes. Like, he's one of those guys um, where – you know, when he makes contact with a baseball, you, you kind of like fear for anyone that might be in the baseball play. <laughs> right. You know. Uh, Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And again, you can give us a call here at 251. 251- Six nine four one zero five five is how you can reach us to get that pair of Mobile Boat Show tickets that we are offering again. That's a pair of tickets to the Mobile Boat Show, and you can reach us at two five one six nine four one zero five five is how you can reach in and get those pair of tickets here offered by WNSP. And we mentioned. Again, going into the break about South Alabama losing to Louisiana 74-64 to and playing Thursday in the Sun Belt Conference 
tournament in Pensacola. The men will play Thursday at 11:30. The women will play tomorrow versus Georgia State at 11:30 a.m. So Terry Fowler and his group will have an early tip-off and we will keep you posted on how that game trans forms and whether the Lady Jaguars season will come to an end or will they'll continue to play as those games will be held at the Pensacola Bay Center as we're starting the 2023 Sunbelt Conference Tournament. And we want to congratulate Kelsey Thompson from Davidson High School. She is a freshman women's basketball player at South Alabama. Hit a buzzer beater against their in-state rival Troy on Friday, and the Lady Jaguars were able to go out with a W on senior night in a great atmosphere at the Mitchell Center. 60-59, to 59, the Lady Jaguars were victorious, and again, the men came up a little bit short. Congratulating again a couple of South Alabama's players, Isaiah Moore, first team all Sun Belt Conference. If you had a chance to watch Richie Riley and those guys this past season, then you see why the Division II transfer comes in and immediately makes his impact known, along with Kevin Samuel, the defensive player of the year for the Jaguars, also being recognized by the Sun Belt Conference and also being recognized at halftime are the St. Luke's Wildcats. They are leading or were leading 32 to 23 over Mars Hill Bible at halftime at Legacy Arena. And St. Luke's was able to outscore Mars Hill Bible 21 to 9 in the second quarter and have taken a lead there as they are getting ready to start the third quarter of action in this semi-final game in boys basketball so again we'll keep you updated as we go on and we'll also keep you updated on day number one of auburn football and auburn football started spring practice today at 5 30 so i know there are a lot of people out there who would like to know what went on on the plains in day number one of spring practice for Hugh Freeze, and we'll bring you up to date on that with our next guest here on the final drive on WNSP with Zach Blackerby coming up to keep us updated on the Auburn Tigers. Hi, I'm Joe Godfrey. I'm a big fan of 105.5 WNSP Sports. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everybody for tuning in this afternoon. And again, it's that time of year when you start hitting the end of February, early March. Of course, spring practice begins to take place and the Auburn Tigers are getting an early start on spring practice as their new head coach, Hugh Freeze, got started today and wanted to talk to Zach Blackerby, host of Locked On Auburn, about what he was able to hear and see around the Plains today as, again, Auburn gets started today. And there were several questions being quarterback, offensive line, wide receiver, and, of course, defensively, one of their strengths was the secondary. Let's talk about what you saw, Zach. Yeah, I mean, I think we just uh, were able to see a lot of individual drills, nothing really 
extremely organized team-wide other than, you know, quarterbacks throwing the wide receivers and tight ends, but offensive linemen are at their side of the field and the defensive line, and everybody kind of spread out. So nothing, um, nothing organized from a big-picture team perspective that we were able to see at least. I'm sure that was by design, but that's still good to see, uh, still good to see college football happening um, at this time of year. It's pretty cool. No question about it. And I think one of the things, too, is just the excitement of starting day number one because you only have one opportunity to start day one as head coach at Auburn in the spring. And we talked about the energy that Cadillac Williams brought that team when he had the interim tag removed for the remainder of the season. Was there that type of energy again? Was it a a quick-paced practice that you guys were able to witness or even just the throwing or the drills that were being done? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, everybody seemed pretty happy to be there. The, the, the mood and the energy was pretty light. So I, I think that was, that was good. And it was also the kind of the first time practicing in this new state of the art facility. So of course that was, I'm sure that adds some, uh, some little extra pride to the players there. Um, but, you know, as far as, it, I mean, it's still just a, it's a practice in February and, you know, nothing really matters until you, you strap up and you play in September. So um, still got a long way to go, but, you know, it, it's just fun seeing some, some reps with these quarterbacks that you follow and get to know and um, throwing reps to these receivers and things like that. It's just, it's, it's just good to see. It's as simple as that. First of 15 practices over the next six weeks leading up to the 8A spring game on April 8th. And being the first of 15, again, did anybody know as to why Auburn decided to, to start spring so early? Is it just how the calendar fell? Because they're one of the first ones in the country really to get started with spring. So when I, when I started asking that question and trying to get more information about how all that's exactly set, it sounds like it has to be set up a long time in advance. And so this was a Brian Harson decision. That's my understanding. Hugh Freeze would have wanted to start it later and kind of take advantage of that spring break in there and be able to spread practices out a little bit more. Um, that's not, I guess, what Brian Harson wanted. It seems like he wanted it to be as quick as possible, which – kind of lines up with uh, with everything else that we've heard about his tenure here, which is an absolute shame for uh, for the, his coaching staff, the players, and the fans. But um, So, yeah, I don't think this is a cue freeze decision. That's my understanding of it. Well, Zach, one of the things that you just mentioned is the brand-new practice facility, and this is a multi-million dollar facility, the one that was unveiled toward the latter part of the season prior to the Iron Bowl. But what new digs are the guys in that make a difference in really recruiting purposes as well as day-to-day practices for Auburn football? I think a lot of it's going to be workouts and rehab and, you know, just kind of walking through it um, from the front lobby area to, to the practice field today. I mean, there's just rows and rows of, you know, beds and tables where you can kind of lay down and I assume they do rehab and work with the players based on, you know, whatever their needs are. I think that's a big part of it. I've talked to players about how much they hate this cold tub and the hot tub. Um, you know, it's not just putting ice in there. It's somehow colder is what they say because they keep the water moving. I think a lot of it's just that. And I mean, look, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a freaking palace. And so just talking to these players, I mean, there's a lot of pride and where they get to show up and go to work every single day. So that's certainly, um, that's certainly, uh, yeah, certainly a big part of it for sure. 
Robbie Ashford and TJ Finley getting mm-hmm. simultaneous reps, I do believe, today. Um, it's a situation to where those two guys really are making the push. Are, will there be any other redshirt freshmen that holding uh, is it Geringer and walk on Sawyer Pate that will make differences within this roster? Competition is great. Iron sharpens iron, but do you think it's a two-horse race for quarterback? Gariner, Gariner. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I think it's a three-man race right now, honestly. And look, I don't know if any of these guys are going to start in the fall. In fact, if I had to bet, I would say that it's somebody that's not on the roster yet. But yeah, you saw you saw Robbie and TJ go out there together, and they were throwing passes at the same time to the same um, side of the field. And so one guy was throwing to a shorter route, and the other guy was throwing to a, another route, and then the other two guys would come behind them and, and do the same to the to the opposite side of the field. Um, and I do think it's telling that a, he's sending a message. It's the start of spring. It looks like it was Robbie one, TJ two, Holden three. There's some speculation that Holden could possibly win spring just because of you know what he's doing. To me, Holden looked a little bit behind. I'm just being honest. It looks like his motions were just a little bit slower than what TJ and Robbie were able to do. And if I, if I knew nothing about this team, I, I would have assumed that TJ w- was the best quarterback on the roster. And I said that I said that uh, in the fall, and I said it last spring as well. So we'll see uh, we'll see if TJ even stays on this team. You know, he tra- he graduates at the end of uh, at the end of the semester, so he can grad transfer. And we'll see if he even stays on this roster when it's all said and done. Zach, we had a person in the app ask: uh, Is there anyone who's not currently on campus that you could see transferring in in the late window and possibly competing for this job? Yeah, I mean, I think in theory that could be any number of people that you want it to be. As far as people that are in the portal right now, no. But I, once again, like, we're guessing here. But if I had to guess, um, Auburn's next quarterback is not currently in the portal. That's just my guess. I, I think with NIL, um, that's just going to be a big part of it. Uh, I think somebody's going to not be happy with where they're at, or maybe they were promised something. I mean, we're kind of hearing it you know, around college football where, you know, you may be promised some NIL money and, you know, you may not get it all. I think there's going to be situations like that. Um, I'm not going to name any names or kind of do any of that just because it's impossible to know who's going to jump into the portal. But um, as far as guys currently in the portal, no, I think think if Auburn goes out and gets a guy that they would be, um, yeah, they're probably still at their school right now. We we needed a specific name, a a Blackerby prediction. Well, there's a lot of smoke about Grayson McCall, right? And, you know, it sounds like he's trying to get all of his school stuff in order where he can grad transfer at the end of this semester. So, you know, I think the Coastal Carolina quarterback is certainly certainly a part of it. If I had to pick, it'd be him. But uh, I, there, there's probably some other names, too, that there was some real smoke about them entering the portal and they ended up not entering the portal. There's a chance that they enter the portal in May. We'll see. Well, it's not only that. You, you start talking about going from football over to basketball. Auburn men's basketball team did not have an outstanding weekend against Kentucky as they kind of fell flat on their face as they're getting ready to approach the Iron Bowl but uh, or the Iron Bowl basketball contest. Let's do y'all talk do about, that? They, do y'all they, call they, it the Iron Bowl it, of basketball? The I-Bob. We, 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 you're, we you're talked not, about that. We're, we in the, we're in the I-Bob. We got the I-Bob on Wednesday, part two. We, we, we 
talked about that earlier in the show. Do fans, and I think just because it's Alabama-Auburn, people still call it the Iron Bowl, even though it is basketball. It could be gymnastics. It could be baseball. People are still going to affiliate it with the football game. And, I, you know, I, I just – it's what it sticks uh, when you start talking about the Alabama Auburn robbery, but Bruce Pearl. The Iron Bowl of basketball, it just sounds bad. It, it sounds it does. dumb. I think, I think we've got two fan bases that are creative enough to come up with something else. I just, I just feel like there's something else better out there. Well, I know that Cole Kublick feels the same way to where, look, folks, oh, they're playing. Yeah, folks, they're playing basketball on Wednesday. You know, you had Alabama and Auburn. The only thing that will be Iron Bowl related will be the student body or the student government association that has to sing the fight song for the University of Alabama, which I know will make a lot of Alabama faithful, happy there at Coleman Coliseum. But I agree with you. You, you got to come up with a catchy phrase for each sport and kind of separate it because football is football. But it is a must win for Bruce Pearl as, again, the basketball team is trying to not get their bubble burst before the SEC tournament even arrives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Auburn's not in a good situation and they're not playing – very good basketball. I don't think there's really any other way to put it. And nobody's really stepping up. And so what are they, how are they going to really respond with all of that? And I, I just, I, I mean, I, I don't know how good this team really is when you, when it comes down to it. And they've got to play obviously in Tuscaloosa. And I think Tennessee at home is winnable. You know, they're not playing their best ball of the, uh, of the season anymore. Um, we'll see. We will certainly see how that goes. Well, Auburn baseball had a, a good weekend against Southern Cal and Auburn's baseball team, Ike Irish, pretty good baseball player that's going to get a lot of pub this year for the Auburn Tigers baseball program. But anytime that you can complete a series against Southern Cal and have success, I know that creates and generates a lot of excitement and buzz as well. Yeah, Ike Irish, an incredible start to his young career. Congrats to that young man. And he's putting the effort in. There's no question about it. But Auburn's got to figure out their pitching. Now, fortunately, I think the offense is off to a hotter start than they expected it to be. Justin Kirby's already got five home runs. In fact, all five of his hits so far this season are home runs. But they're getting they're getting offensive production from you know, the entire lineup, which is great. They just need these pitchers, these starting pitchers, to stay in the game for more than two innings. Uh, that it's just killed them. And you know, you can live with that happening on Friday or Saturday, which they kind of had to do because Joseph Gonzalez didn't pitch. But over the course of a weekend, it just kind of wears you down. Like, there is no excuse for giving up 12 runs. And you know, Auburn, Auburn probably should have won it despite giving up 12 runs. This is how that game ended. But I am. Um, yeah, it's just um, that's something that Butch Thompson's got to figure out. And we've seen this before from Auburn teams. Butch Thompson led Auburn teams. It's, um, it, sometimes it takes a few weeks and even a few months to kind of get that rotation nailed down. Zach Crotchfelt seems like he's going to be the favorite to be the Sunday starter next week. He's looked really good in his two, uh, his two outings of middle relief on Sundays. We'll see how he looks in a starting role if he gets that nod on, uh, on Sunday. 
Auburn's 5-1-1 one one to start the season, again winning 5-3 over Southern Cal on Friday and winning 12-6 on Saturday. And the only reason it ended in a 12-12 tie is because of the travel rule that was enforced in that situation, saying I think the game needed to be completed by 3-30, if I'm not mistaken, and that's why they had to end in the tie. Yep, yep, they had an interesting thing where you could not start a new inning after 3.30. So the ninth inning started at about 3.25 or so, and uh, yeah, nobody scored. Both teams came very close to scoring. In fact, USC had a guy run past home plate. He didn't touch it, and Nate LaRue got him out. Um, and then Auburn, in the bottom of the ninth, was a chance. They had the bases loaded with one out, and they weren't able to close there. So it was a crazy game. I, I, was, I took my my two-year-old there we had a blast but yeah it was a, a weird game i've never witnessed a tie in person in any sporting event that i can recall so that was a, that was a first for me zach blackerby host of locked on auburn and final situation we mentioned about the new digs for the football program also upgrading a lot of Plainsman Park I know has been done and is going to continue to be done, but gymnastics and softball are going to be getting updated locker rooms in their offseason also, along with the men's basketball team getting a new practice facility. A lot of money, a lot of money coming in. And Butch Thompson and Bruce Pearl, they've been kind of leading the way for these new improvements. The football finally got theirs, and I think everything else kind of fell in line after that. So, um, you know, Auburn, Auburn was leading the way for a little bit when the arena was built, and then they kind of they kind of fell behind for a bit. And so they're responding. Money, big money donors are, are putting putting their money where their mouth is because Bruce Pearl and Bush Thompson had to call them directly because Alan Green certainly wasn't going to do it. And, uh, yeah, they've, they have delivered so far. So that's been cool to see. Well, Zach, want to thank you for your plethora of knowledge about the Auburn Tigers. And how can people – Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP. Don't forget, coming up after the final drive will be John Reschetti Golf Report, brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, Engineered Products and Services, right after the final drive. You don't want to miss the John Reschetti Golf Report. Again, want to thank all our wonderful guests today on the final drive. Tony Sakalis, Managing Editor for Tide Illustrated. Joey Blackwell, host of the Crimson Corner podcast. Emily Flanagan, she's the head coach for the Foley Lady Lions. They are making history going to the Final Four playing on Thursday. Zach Blackerby from Locked On Auburn and Dave Eckert from the Clarion Ledger talking a little bit about the Ole Miss Rebel program. And 2-11 remaining in the fourth quarter of action. St. Luke's with a three-point lead over Mars Hill Bible, 55-52 to with two minutes remaining in the fourth quarter of action. St. Luke's and Coach Garrett Traywick trying to punch their ticket to the state championship game in 2A and they have the basketball with a little less now than 140 remaining and have a three-point lead as St. Luke's trying to make Mobile, Alabama go one for one in Birmingham, Alabama. 
again, Mike, it was a, a great show, and as Auburn football continues to get started, tomorrow we'll talk with Richie Riley along with Daniel Woken about the NFL and the NFL combines that are going on. We'll speak to Adra Harris. She's the head women's basketball coach at Bishop State Community College. They'll be on the road having a game tomorrow and just a lot going on. Dame Lillard goes for 71 points last night against the Houston Rockets. Hit 13 three-pointers. It's his fifth time having a 60-point game. He had 41 points in the first half. Dame Lillard showing that he's still the real deal. And the Lakers... We'll see if they can continue to play strong as they had a 27-point deficit against Dallas last night and came back and won. AD goes for 30 and 15. LeBron 26 and 8. But we'll see if his ankle holds up as he heard something pop. So we'll keep you posted. St. Luke's, we'll see if they can pull it out. And we'll be coming to you live tomorrow from Legacy Arena in Birmingham, Alabama. Don't want to miss that final drive here on WNSP 105.5.